such a beautiful thing. Uh, well, we're excited that um, we get to continue in our, in our time of worship. Um, Pastor E is just finished up at the Manifest Conference, so it sounds like that went incredible. Um, anytime you get a whole bunch of dudes together and you worship, raising holy hands instead of fist fights, and you listen to the Word of God, it's powerful. And so uh, that's a little plug for whenever we have our next men's thing, y'all need to get here. This, it's, it's, we went through past these material last time, and it, it's, it's one of those things that continues to change us. So anyways, with that, grateful for that. Um, I know in this, in the, I did this in the first gathering, but um, this also I recognize a lot of people are probably sick right now, have ailments um, with the weather. You know, you have the, the, the getting up to 55 degrees, and my California blood was feeling that. I was like, this is great. I didn't do the flip-flops, though. I can't do that. That's still cold. I know some of y'all, anyways, it's a whole different story, but uh, <laughs> I, just, I can't do shorts or that, or, you know, you still got to, but, but, but the reality is, is that, like, in the midst of that, and then it diving back to a 10 degrees and all this snow, and so some of us have gotten sick, some of the kids, my girls are home, Fatima's sick right now, and um, so a lot of just, I know there's sickness. I also rejoice in the fact that many of you have gone through surgeries, um, and the Lord has brought you through, and just grateful for what the, what the Lord, yeah, it's all right to give the Lord a hand, a hand clap for that. I'm so grateful for that. So um, in light of that, as we, as we do even prayer, we just wanted to spend a moment praying for um, maybe your child is sick, maybe you're sick, you have a spouse is sick, just praying that the Lord will give us grace to endure and, and even able to heal, even beyond just the immune system that he provided for us. So um, well, let's go ahead and um, let's stand up. We're going to get into the word. Let's read. As we, you guys know the, you know the protocol. We're going to read together. We his community, right? So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. So we'll do just the normal way. I'll start reading, and uh, you can continue on with it. It's on the screen if you, if you need it as well, if you see it. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, Amen, amen. Well, we're going to talk about this morning, a call to grow in endurance. Is that okay? A time to grow up. We're, we're giving a break for a week or two from the First Corinthians series, a time to grow up. It's time to grow up. But we're going to continue in this about it's time to grow up in endurance. So this is a call to grow up in endurance. Let's pray. Father, I'm excited for Jesus, Lord. It is so good as we get to sing and praise and wave our hands, Lord God, and and many of us, just in light of even before we manifest, ma many of us used to be those who got into fist fights, Lord God, on the, on the block, Lord God. We got into fist fights in our home with our spouse and you know, all these kind of things. And yet now, Lord, we can lift our hands and say, be to our God. 
Lord, I thank you for that. That is so good. Thank you, Father, that you have brought many within the congregation through surgeries, Lord. Um, you've been gracious to, to us in that. We're so grateful. We give you praise and glory and honor for that. Father, we recognize that many are sick right now. Um, Father, we pray for um, your healing. We thank you for children. Father, oftentimes in this day of age, as we'll talk about children, it can come off uh, to the culture's eyes as a hindrance. Um, or a means to get something that I want versus a means to steward children the way that God has called us to. And, and Father, I thank you for the children. We pray your blessing and your healing touch upon, um, upon the sickness right now. Uh, thank you for immune systems, Lord. Being, a, being on immunosuppressant with the transplant, I just rejoice that you've given my kids an immune system, Lord. Thank you that you've given Manny and Nehemiah strong immune systems. Thank you that all those, and think of Jay with the transplant, giving children, and Lord, just so many within the congregation. God, we just give thanks to you. And so God, lead and guide us in all that we do. We bless you, we thank you, uh, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you can be seated. Um, so it all started, well, all that I'm talking about, it started on Saturday, February 16th. That's a day in my, engraved in my mind that I will never forget. Um, and so we, uh, Fatima and I, it's a Saturday, and kind of going through, spending some time, get a little morning time with the family. Then we get into, you know, we have some ministry meetings, and we're kind of preparing for that. An hour before the first meeting that we were scheduled to have, her water breaks. And she's at 38 weeks. So we, we had our plan devised, but we weren't expecting another 38-week child. <laughs> Um, and so got to the point where we start, you know, scrambling, like trying to get the stuff together. We're like, all right, time to execute the plan we have. So we're going to call, you know, Dunlap's, we're going to send Michaela over there, and then we're going to go to the hospital, and then we have it all planned out for, you know, where Michaela's going to stay for the, for the weekend. And all right, it's good to go. So as we're scrambling, she's trying to work her water breaking, and I'm trying to make phone calls and get things together. We hear this boom, 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 boom. Like, what was that? We both looked, and Michaela had fallen down the full flight of steps. And so I'm thinking, okay, what do we do? So she's, she's, she's crying, but she never blacked out. Praise God. We checked the neurological things. Okay, everything's in order. She's okay. But I'm thinking, we can't go with the plan that we had executed. Like, we can't execute what we had planned out because I don't know if she has internal bleeding. I can't, we can't just drop her off with someone some, to try to, like, she got to go to the hospital. So we have scheduled to go to Einstein, where our midwife is. The, the new Einstein's like 45 minutes away from the city, because that's where our, our midwife delivers. And so, um, so we're, we're it's like, okay, we got to go up there. But little did we know, there was no pediatric care within that hospital. So we, but we had no choice. My wife had to get on. She had to get on the the, the medication, the drip, get ready for labor, et cetera. Et cetera. So we 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 book up there. And as um, well, before that. Michaela, every time we touched her left side, she screamed uncontrollably. We're like, okay, so this is not just a fall where, okay, you're okay. Something's wrong. So we go, and, um, and we realize, find that her leg is swelling. We're like, oh, God, what is happening? So then we, we get to Einstein. We take her to the ER. We're trying to, I mean, this, at this point, like, I've never been so much to the point. I'm like, I'm about to burst down in tears right now. Um, but I, don't, I was like, I got to hold it in, right? Because my wife is already hurting. I'm hurting. Like, we got to hold this in. So, um, so we get to, we get to the lo long story short with it is she ends up having a broken femur that's completely cut in half. Like, not just fractured. This joint was like, it was separate, clean cut across. And so, in the midst of all the emotional stuff, 
Praise God, the Smiths were there. Pastor Larry and Miss Harriet were able to follow her in the ambulance to go to CHOP, where they could, they could check out and really treat her well while we're up there. So my wife, while I'm waiting with Michaela and trying to figure these, sign these papers and so forth and so on, my, my wife is up trying to get ready for delivery. So I'm trying to figure out, can, am I going to be there to see my second daughter born? So they allowed us to sign release. The Smiths go down. They follow to CHOP. So Michaela's down in CHOP. We're giving birth to Caitlin up at Einstein successful delivery, praise God, but then a couple hours later, it's like, hey, time to go to CHOP to sign the release paper so they can put a, ha- a spica cast, or in other words, a, a half-body cast on Michaela. So we're going on Holy Ghost power. It's like Holy Ghost adrenaline. Like, I don't know what's going on. I haven't even been able to grieve this reality. I have pent-up emotion in my, in my soul that I haven't been able to express yet. <laughs> So we get, to, we get to the point where she gets the cast on, and this is a weekend process, back and forth, you know, taking care of the new one. Praise God for the people of God come alongside and helping, and I don't want to get ahead in the, in the sermon. But, but we got to the point where saying, okay, we got through that weekend, but here's where it started. We get home, and we have a newborn and a one-and-a-half-year-old in a half-body cast who needs a diaper changed every three hours for five weeks. That's when that began to happen. We made it through when we felt God's presence with us. But when it endured for a long period of time, you best believe I was struggling with confidence that God was taking care of us. I knew it, but there was times when I wanted to waver and give up. And so what happens is that that is so similar to our reality in life. And so we want to, if we're going to grow up in endurance, we need to begin to, one, understand what endurance is. Endurance is the ability to bear up under difficult circumstances in light of the hope that God gives us in Christ. Endurance is the ability to bear up under difficult circumstances in light of the hope that God gives us in Christ. Because these difficult times can knock our confidence, can't they? You go through something hard and your confidence gets obliterated. You don't know what to do. So difficult times have a tendency to knock us off of our confidence. And this is what was going on in the early church. What was going on, the the author of Hebrews uh, pens this epistle to probably a church around the mid-60s, somewhere in the 60s, to churches, a church or churches around the Roman area in Italy back in the day. So he pins this and he's writing this to them. And they all had some sort of Jewish background or they were proselytized into the Jewish faith. Um, And so they had the the background, they came to Christ. Now, as a Jew, you had your family connections, you had your religious connections that were all intertwined. Maybe you had a business that you worked for that was family and religiously related, right? And not only did you have that family, right, but, but you have the interactions with the political system in the Roman Empire. Here's what I mean. When they trusted Christ, guess what happened to their, to them in relation to their Jewish family business? Yeah, you lost it. You're now ostracized from your family. You're kicked out. You don't know what to do. You might, be sitting as, that's, you might be sitting in a room with something to eat wondering, I can't even afford my bills right now because I stuck true to walking with Jesus and I was ostracized. And so not only did you get ostracized from that cultural background and that religious background, but in that time, Nero was the Caesar back in Rome. And in 64, there were these great fires that burned a lot of Rome, and and Nero blamed those on the Christians. 
So you had a little hostility with, uh, towards Christians from the Roman Empire. So this is the context where they come to Christ, and now difficulty happens. And I'm not talking about just little things that were short. This is like, this is your life. Imagine walking down the street and you get ridiculed because someone saw you at a local church gathering. You get beaten and stoned and you get all this stuff just because you were at a Christian gathering. That's the context there of what's happening. And so you can imagine, you, you, I mean, think with me for a second. What was the tension going on in their mind? Like, is Jesus really worth it? Is it worth it, all this suffering, this pain, this disappointment, this disillusionment? Is it worth it? Is there another way? There's got to be another way to get out of this difficulty. Got to be. And so that's, that's the context to which our passage speaks today. And so I'm going to go over three things today. If we're going to grow in endurance, one, we must be satisfied with Jesus Christ. We must be satisfied in Jesus Christ. In, in verse 19 it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Let's stop there. See, when people were lacking in confidence, they weren't there yet. They were struggling, and we'll see that throughout the text. They were struggling with their confidence. But the author comes and says, he lays out throughout that initial part of Hebrews how Jesus is greater than all these things that they were going to within what they knew to go back to. Jesus is greater than all that stuff. And so he's trying to lift them again and saying, since we have this confidence, in other words, parenthetically, my, my, my interpretation of this is, translation is the reality of, um, of even though you're not there yet. Does that make sense? So since you have the confidence, even though you're not there yet, right, he says, let us enter the holy places. Now, for that mindset, think about this. In order to understand the holy places and, and what, what some of the, the early church was thinking about, we got to go back to what were the holy places that they thought about. So let's go into the holy places. You have God back, back in, the, in Torah when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. He, he gave a blueprint from his mind and what he was thinking in his economy. He gave that to Moses. Moses laid out the tent of meeting or the tabernacle of presence, which was the place where God would say, I will dwell in this holy of holies to be your God, Israel. Right? So in the Holy of Holies, check this out though, in the holy places, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could enter once a year, according to Leviticus 16, for the Day of Atonement. And he had to go through a process to entering in. And what he would have to do is he would have to wash with water, right, for external cleanliness. He would put on special garments that God said, this is what you need to put on. And then he would take the blood of bulls and goats, so one bull and two goats, he would have to go and deal with that and sacrifice those for his own forgiveness, like for his own sin, and then he'd have to cleanse the tent, and then he would have to clean, offer some for the forgiveness of the people. He only entered once a year. Now, the, the, the reason, and the author of Hebrews reminds them in chapter 9 that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Now, that points to the reality that God is holy and the wages of sin is death. That's why Paul picks it up in Romans. The wages of sin is death, right? And God is holy. And, and the reality is, is you, we can't just step to God any old way that we want to, right? I mean, you go, go look at Leviticus 10. 
Aaron, the high priest, who was this high priest who entered once a year, his sons tried to step to God in a way that was not prescribed by God, and they, they died. Like, that's crazy. So God is holy. You don't step with him any way. And they had this in their mind that, okay, how do we enter? Only the high priest could enter once a year. So if he can only enter once a year, okay, where does that put us? Right? How, how do we deal with this kind of stuff? Because here's the shortcoming of this old arrangement, right? This arrangement that God set up for a reason. He set it up for a reason, and yet here's the shortcoming. Not because God's plan was a shortcoming, but he set it up as a tutor to prepare and help his people understand how do you approach me and what does it look like to walk with me. So he sets this up. Here's the shortcoming of it. Each year, the people were reminded about their sin, and they needed covering over and over, right? So every year, you're coming back with a sacrifice, every single year, which it reminds of, wow, I need forgiveness of sin. I need something. There is a debt that needs to be, that, that something needs to be dealt with. Every year, they were reminded of it, and because the priest never sat down. He was always standing up and then would leave every year. He never sat down. It wasn't finished. The blood of bulls and goats purified the body for an external cleanliness, but did not deal with a guilty conscience. It didn't deal with the inside, the guilty conscience. It was only, this, this sacrifice was only a temporary remission of a debt, according to Romans 3.25. It was only a temporary remission of the debt. It was never the final be-all. Another thing is only the priest could enter, not all the people. Not all the people enter, only the priest, only the high priest once a year. But here's the thing. This old arrangement in which they were raised, this is what many of their families believed and in around which they revolved their life. So going back, when, when difficulty hit, everything in life is taken away. That's what they knew. So what did they tend to go back to? They went back to saying, Let's go back to this temple because it's too hard. If only I go back to this, then I'll, I'll be able to kind of get away from some of this persecution. And I can live kind of a life that, you know, it's comfortable here and it's kind of, it seeks comfort. It doesn't seek pain. It's, right, is that, so that's, that's the reality. That was the temptation. Here's the thing, though. This author says, I know that you're tempted to do that. Here's what he says. He lifts their eyes. And he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, since we, being all believers, we, not just the high priest, have confidence to enter into the holy places. He's speaking of another temple. He's speaking of another holy place that is not this one, okay? So let's go in, in chapter 9, verse 24. He, he says this. This is the place he's talking about. For Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's talking about a holy places that is not made by man's hands, but the holy place from eternity past where God dwelt for eternity. This is the, the habitation of the Most High, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Not just a God that some Christians created in their own image. This is the Lord Yahweh, the God of all creation, who in the beginning spoke and it came into be. This is his habitation. 
This is not something made up. This is God's habitation. And that's what he's reminding them. He's seeking to lift their countenance and say, it's hard right now. But I want to remind you of the confidence that you have as a believer. And he warns them in verses 26 through 31 in that same section, uh, section of chapter 10. He warns them and says, if you go away from this, there's no longer sacrifice that remains. Like if you leave from this sacrifice, this fullness that we're going to see in Christ, no sacrifice remains. There is no remission of sin. He's reminding them of this. And here's, uh, and so, so you can't go back, basically. If you do, it doesn't function. Let me make this plain. I, I remember getting an iPhone 3G. Anybody have an iPhone 3G? Maybe still does. You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> I know. Remain nameless right now, Doc, because I was thinking about you. Uh, but, but the iPhone 3G, I was so excited back, I think it was five years, four years ago when I got it, four or five years ago when I got it. And so I got the iPhone 3G, and it was incredible because it blew my Trio 600 and 650 out of the water. I, mean, I was struggling with a little stylus on the old school, you know, the thick joint. Y'all remember that? All right, so it blew that out of the water. I was excited about my 3G, right? You know, it had, it, it had the calendars. I can finally, as, a, as like an intuitive person who's not really detailed, I get my life in order with my calendars right in front of me. I could get GPS because I get lost in Philly still. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a sense of where I was excited. So but here's the thing. When, when we got married, we recognized that, man, we can't afford the AT&T plan. I, we needed all the minutes we could for ministry, and I couldn't afford that. So we switched carriers. The carrier we switched to didn't carry the iPhone. So for a while, I went through a while with some other phones. I won't mention any of them, but highly disappointing, you know, for the most part. One was decent. My wife will say she loved the one, but, but, um, but eventually what happens, I found out, re, you know, in, in a little ways back, that our carrier finally was carrying iPhones. I said, oh, my goodness, i got to get back to this. Here's, here's the thing. Imagine if I took the iPhone 3G and I went up to the, the authorized dealer and said, hey, can you hook this up to my plan? Now, this is after iOS 7 comes out. <laughs> yeah, y'all got that now. They're going to be like, yo, that's not even compatible. You're bringing in an old phone that doesn't even utilize the, old, that, the, the new system. So th that's similar is that when that phone that I'm trying to go back to and use, it doesn't even work with the operating system. That's what he's saying. You guys are trying to go back to something that doesn't even work with God's operating system right now. Amen. That's crazy. But that's what was going on at a deep level. And so this is what happens in life. We get something new oftentimes. We don't understand it. It's frustrating. So then we want to go back to what is old, right? Because we knew that. We were familiar with it. It was comfortable. But only to find out that something's wrong with it. But for some reason, we keep going back to it. So he says that, that's the reality. So for us, what do you run back to when life feels like, it's, like hell is breaking loose? When life, when the pressures of life press in on you, what are you running to? Amen. I don't always do that, though. <laughs> I'm growing in that. But you know what I'm saying? What do you run to? What is that thing that you tend to run to? Because it's not only the thing that you tend to run to, but check this out. Think about what is your, what's shaping your value system that teaches you, to, instructs you to walk in toward that thing when tough times get tough 
get going. Here's what I want to say is, is here's the things that shape some of our ideology that we have to be careful for. We're bombarded with themes that cause us to question our confidence in difficult times. Here's what we're told. You should get it now, have it our way, and the next best thing is here. Seems like every year the next best thing is here. I mean, think about it, the sacrificial systems, every single year, the next best thing is here. That's what we're being conditioned to. Here's what this produces, though. A tendency towards impatience for us, entitlement, a desire to simply move to the next best thing when you get tired of the new thing. When you put all these together and stir them up, as we get teachings from outside in the culture, what happens outcomes a highly fragmented and isolated individual, um, unstable, and always seeking to move on to the next better app, mobile device, or even relationship, a job, or even church community, because you're looking for the next best thing. This, this, this is what I call the just-in-case syndrome. Now, many of us, we have the just-in-case syndrome. The just-in-case syndrome says... Just in case this doesn't work out, I have this backup plan. Now, stewardship, properly stewarded, is not a bad thing to think like that. But when it comes to satisfaction and being satisfied in life and direction and spiritual coping mechanisms outside of Christ, it's dangerous. And that's what's going on there. And so what happens is that we have this sense of, for instance, let me make this practical. Um... You say, I'm going to, some, some of you might be thinking, I'm trying to pursue this young lady or this, or this young guy, but just in case, I got my black book. You know what I'm saying? That, and so, so yeah, there's this, this just in case, just in case this doesn't work out and God doesn't satisfy me, I got my computer to do some things that I, I found to bring a temporary sense of satisfaction the just in case syndrome gets at all of us and we have to be careful of that and the author is exhorting the people to beware of that because here's the thing we as God's people need to be honest about these things y'all like we got to be honest about where is your just in case syndrome where is it because here's here's the reality is we need to be honest because when we practically are influenced by these things, and we have our just-in-case syndrome, then that, that doesn't just end up functionally broken, but it hinders us from growing in Christ. Here's why. Hebrews 6, this early church that the author is writing to, they're going through a time where they're tempted to go back. They're tempted to go back to the old sacrificial system, the thing that they thought would bring them, them peace and so forth. And every time they went back, um, they, they were trying to find that. And Paul says in Hebrews 6, you know why? Because you are not letting go of the past that you thought shaped you. And you're not willing to look towards and be satisfied in the work of Christ. And because you're not satisfied in that and you're still looking back, you really can't move forward. Because you can't move forward, you're not able to endure because your confidence is lost. When you're not able to endure, guess what else suffers? Your ability to grow. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance, we grow in the crucible of endurance. That's where we grow. But it's hard. There are times when we're tempted to go back with it. And so some of us today, we need to look and say, what things do you need to let go today? What things are your just-in-case that you need to let go of? I want you guys to think about that. 
because that is going to hinder yours and our growth as a church unless we're letting the gospel and community deal with these things. Okay? So here's what he does. So to begin to say, it's one thing to say, what are your things? But the way that you expose and show how futile they are is to highlight how you have access to the new and the perfect. And that's when he continues on. He says, we enter these holy places by the blood of Jesus. Check this out real quick. Why is the blood of Jesus better and necessary than the blood of bulls and goats? Here's what it is. It, it, the blood of Jesus is better because it purifies our conscience from dead works. The guilty conscience that convicts us, even when we don't know Christ, and when we do know it's the conscience and the Holy Spirit, they say, ding, 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 this is not right. Romans 3 talks about it testifies, the conscience testifies and shows whether you're wrong or right. But the crazy thing is, even when we know we're wrong, we have no power to do anything about it. We can't enter on our own understanding, and that's why the shedding of blood was necessary for that. So the blood of Jesus purifies our conscience, our spiritual sin. It purifies us, whereas the old only washed the external outside. So the blood of Jesus was necessary because access into the heavenly places required better sacrifices. These sacrifices in the old could not give you access up here. I mean, you can think of all the illustrations, and I won't go into any with time-wise, but think about this access would not get you there. That is not the VIP car that is required for the believer into the holy places. And yet, we have a tendency to go back to that. It requires the very blood of Christ to enter this very throne room. And not only does he cleanse us through the blood and forgive sin and the shedding of blood that is greater than these, that actually deals with the soul, the heart, all of that, is that you have, he enters, let's enter not just by the blood, but in verse 20, by the new and living way that, that he opens for us through the curtain. That is his body. The, it's a new way because it's not like the old. It's a living way because the sacrifice of Christ, is, he's not dead. He's alive, and he paves the way to the new and living way that supersedes and above anything else of the old. In fact, the old was really pointing to this. It's like being satisfied in a trailer and not even watching the movie. So the, the, the new way and the living way, right? But he does this. He made it possible through the curtain. Here's what he says. He goes back. Remember, the old temple had a curtain that prevented the people of God, the high priest, from coming in the presence of God. And when Jesus died, in Matthew 27, it says that the curtain ripped from the top to the bottom, and entrance was there. But he did not say, now go enter the old temple, because it's ripped. Because that's, that's not what it's about. But he says, which is the body of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, opening up, and he dies on the cross and gives access to the heavenly, the heavenly places. This is the new throne that Jesus says, this is it. My sacrifice is the only sufficient thing. And that's good news right there. <laughs> and he, he doesn't stop there, though. He doesn't stop with just his sacrifice, which is the only blood necessary to purify us, to pay for our sin, the penalty of our sin that is death, to be in the presence of God. But here's, check this out. He's a great, in verse 21, he's also, since he's also, we have a, a, a great high priest over the house of God. 
since we have him as well, check this out. I want to read this real quick. A couple things here. Jesus as the high priest can empathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, way yes, yet without sin. What other God do you know would take on flesh to deal with the mess of humanity and endure the, the bruise and the beating of his own creation? so that his blood would make it possible for us to be with him. There's no other God like that, because every other God is made in man's image, and he does, man cannot devise salvation. It belongs to God, as we sang earlier. So that's the reality, is that the blood of Christ is sufficient. Jesus, as the high priest, can empathize with us. He knows what you're going through right now, and you're in lacking confidence, and you're hurting, and you're bruised. He knows because he went through it. He can empathize with you. I love that. But he wasn't, but he was without sin, which is why he was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, as the great high priest, has passed through the heavens to appear before the presence of God on our behalf to put away sin. Once and for all, put away sin because his blood dealt with it. It was the necessary substitution. This is the shedding of the blood of our Lord. And then Jesus as the high priest went behind the curtain as a forerunner and is our hope. He's behind there purifying with upgraded blood, with an upgraded holy place. And so we have hope to where his upgraded blood in the upgraded place gives us access, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It actually, Jesus is the high priest, is the mediator of a better covenant because it, it, enacted, it is enacted on better promises. He's talking about Jeremiah 31, which says there's a new covenant that I will speak, right? I will write my law upon your heart, and I will forgive their sins no more. He enacts this better covenant through the shedding of his blood that actually dealt with the forgiveness of sin. Other things didn't. And they never were intended to the way that Jesus' blood was. Because it all climaxes at Jesus Christ. So he enacts a better one, which actually gives forgiveness of sin. He offered a single sacrifice, sat down, and said, it's done. It's finished. I don't got to go in and out. It's finished. The work of Christ finished it all. That's so incredible to me. And so not only did he do that, but it talks about that, and we'll talk about with hope, he's waiting for all things to be placed under his footstool. And so lastly, finally, as the high priest, Jesus is the high priest, is not only seated at the right hand of the throne of God the Father, but is also over God's household, the church. Here's a beautiful thing. Not only do we have access now, have confidence to have access through the blood of Christ, and he opened this new and living way, and we have a great high priest, but he not only gives us that access, but guess what else he does? He sprinkles us. He sprinkles us so that he might dwell with us. He sprinkles us with the blood, the only blood that can cleanse sinners so that Christ will make his dwelling place among his people, the church. Don't lose sight of that. Like, that's the reason, because of his sprinkling, that we can do that. And so be careful about treating the person and the work of Jesus as another app in your life. It's not just another app to upgrade. You cannot out-upgrade the Lord Jesus Christ. So when our culture tells us, upgrade, look for the next best thing, it's already here. It's been here since the foundations of the world. And now we see it, we see it, and we see it, and we see it. 
And so now, now that this is a reality, he goes on. He says, lift your confidence. Here's your confidence. Let's revisit it so you don't go back to these old things because they can't pay for it. Then he says, check this out. Let us draw near with the true heart, the text says in, chapter, in verse 22. And now, now this, this drawing there is, it's come on, it's open access. You know, when the, whole, the high priest could only do it, all of a sudden now, all believers, come on, come to the heavenly throne of thrones, the king of kings, the holy places. Come on, it says. He says, but how do you do this with a true heart in full assurance of faith? See, here's the thing. A true heart is, is it's, it's one that is genuine, sincere, true. It's the opposite of deceitful, hypocritical. It suggests integrity. Now, this integrity, here's, I, I love how one of the words was described as, it says, it can be seen as having its real nature corresponding to the name. So its real nature is corresponding to the name. In other words, it doesn't say, man, I, I love Jesus, but then the next thing it's turning and doing something else all the time. And while you're saying you love him, you really don't love him, you really are loving something else because what you believe can be seen by what you actually do. And a belief is not just an intellectual acumen of call, you know, intellectual you know, propositional truths, et cetera, et cetera. It is a conviction that says, I have a godly resolve. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It is a godly resolve that says, I know this is hard, but I know that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy me. So draw near in full assurance that he's done it all. Stop playing, thinking that you've got to go back to an old, you know, we know it's not going to satisfy us. We know it cannot deal with us and grow us as the people of God the way we were created to, that Jesus redeems and puts us back on mission. Stop going back to that. It says the godly resolve, it comes from the, I, the idea of the next part of the text. It says where does this godly resolve come from? Be reminded over the fact that we come with full assurance of faith that he's done it all with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Man, that's good. I love the idea of pure water. I've been loving water lately. I don't know if y'all just, water's so good. Uh, anyways, that's a whole, but pure water is good. Like that's, you know what I'm saying? Um, anyways, enough on that. I started thinking about all these good pure waters. So, but the reality is, is that your heart was sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's, remember that. Don't forget that. That Jesus, this, this sprinkling piece, I want to I I look at this. Here's what Jesus did. Sprinkled. The, the tenses of it, it's perfect and it's passive. In other words, perfect is that this is a present reality resulting from a past action. Jesus did it. We experience it presently. It's passive in that God did it all. He did it all. Why were we yet sinners outside the, the everything? He did it all. So that's the beautiful thing about the, the, the perfect passive reality of he sprinkled it. Remember that. He sprinkled you. He sprinkled you clean with the blood of Christ for those that are in Christ. And now you have access before him. He dwells in you when you're in Christ. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. So now you may be saying, well, I think I'm understanding the sufficiency or being satisfied in Christ. But I'm going through a lot of difficult times right now. I, I, I think I'm, I'm growing to understand that. But I'm going through a lot of tough times right now. And that's why he picks up. He says, number two. 
If you're going to in, grow in endurance, you need to behold life from God's eternal perspective. If you're going to grow in endurance, you need to behold life from God's eternal perspective. And this is what he says. Continue on verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now, there's a lot of definitions of hope out there. Everybody's talking about hope. Like, have hope, have hope. It's like, where is hope? Hope needs to be rooted in something. What gives hope? This is what he's developing. They were taking hope in the dead things, as Peter says. You were saved from a dead hope, which I interpret, it says, to a living hope. So if there's a living hope, there had to be a dead hope. And they were going back to the dead hope. It's easy to go back to dead hopes, the just-in-case scenarios. So he says, now I want to lift your eyes to the living hope. And here's what he says is that he begins to develop this. He says, and go to, go to chapter 2. He's starting to develop a theology of hope for them to remind them to lift their eyes uh, above what is going on, to understand the big story of things. Chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, here's what it says in Hebrews. He's talking about Jesus, God subjected the world to come to Jesus who fulfills it. He says, and putting, putting everything in subjection under his feet, that is under Jesus' feet, and that's referring to Psalm 8, fulfillment of Jesus, that's a whole different sermon. But here's the key thing, now in putting everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, though, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, right? We know it's a reality, but life is still crazy right now. But here's the thing, verse 9, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You may not see life getting better right now where you want it. It may not ease up on difficulties, but don't give up, he's reminding them, because you've seen Jesus. If you're satisfied in Jesus, you begin to see what God is doing. You don't give up because you see Jesus. Even though you don't see the practical reality of the kingdom in every scope of life, we've seen him who's going to do it and has done it and will bring it to pass. So he goes on in light of that. Go to chapter 9, verse 28 now. I just want us to build a theology of hope. We have a lot of crazy hopes that just lead to craziness. Verse 28 says, So Christ, chapter 9, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Oh my gosh, that's good. Not just to deal with sin. When he comes again, he ain't dealing with sin. He already did. He's coming to wreck shop, y'all. He's coming to wreck shop. Jesus is coming to reign and rule and to in every scope of sphere of life practically implement his lordship and reign. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. Now go to 10:12. He continues on. He says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. He's saying, this is the hope. God is faithful. He says, you know what? There was a day, go to, go to verse 32. There was a day when you actually were living in light of this. And so what happens in verse 32, he says, but people of the early church, recall the former days when, when after you were in light and you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. 
sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Golly, that's crazy. Yes, it is. There's something about Jesus when he comes, he, they remind him of he came, be satisfied, but he's coming again. And when the people, when the early church was going about and they, they were doing all these incredible things, it was because their hope was in him coming again. They looked forward to the reward of being with him for eternity, of being, seeing the kingdom fully uh, consummated and everything wrecked up and under his will and authority. They looked forward to that day, and that hope shaped their lifestyle. So whatever you're hoping in will shape your lifestyle. You can say you, you trust Jesus and believe him, but if you don't hope in him, to be the one who saves your soul, the only one, the one who sanctifies you, the one who's coming again and is saving all kinds of people all over the world as we speak, then your life, if you don't believe that, your life will not begin to imitate Christ's life. And so what you believe in is inseparable for how you act. So he says, people of God, hope, because you're weary, you're getting weary, you're not able to endure anymore because your confidence is off. But let me set the confidence again. Look at what Jesus has done. Be satisfied in him, because he's faithful, he's gonna do it. I think some of us have lost sight of an eternal perspective. Check this out. Some of you are still looking for hope in other things that give you a greater sense of instant satisfaction. You can tell this because you're seeking to be involved in 50 million things and being in Christ and growing in the context of his people is the last priority on your list. You're spread way too thin because you're chasing a false hope that is no substance. Others of us may have tried that to do that and have been disappointed and find, you find yourself extremely pessimistic and bitter. You've shut yourself off from any type of community outside of an occasional gathering. Everything in life has an underlying meaninglessness and vanity, even though you go around saying, I'm blessed and highly favored. You've lost hope. You've gone to so many other things. And some of you in that place are experiencing suicidal thoughts. And you don't know how to get on with life. Listen to the words of the, of the Bible today. Lift your countenance. Confidence in Christ and what he's done. It's gonna get better. It may not get completely better all times until Jesus comes again. But are you okay with that? That's what Jesus tells us about that. Because we shape, we're shaped in that. Others of you have grown weary in believing, uh, sorry, believing that Christ is sufficient and that God will not deliver on his promises. So you can tell this because you've tightened up your, your life to prevent generosity. You feel that because it seems like God is in it coming for you, you, take, you have to take things into your own hands. God, you haven't done this, so I'm going to do it myself. That's what we're saying. And you know what you're saying. We know what we say. I know what I say in my heart when it doesn't go my way. And I won't say that over the pulpit, but I know what I say in my heart that I need help in the gospel every day when it doesn't go my way. This is a call to reconsider and hold fast. So he says, this hope that you have, 
people of God, hold fast to it. Don't let go of it. Because he who promised is faithful. Don't let go. If you're feeling like, I, I just can't live anymore, don't let go. Please, the Lord is faithful. He is saving and he's going to deliver. Hold on in the midst of it. Because this, but here's the thing, this cannot be done in isolation. In order to grow in endurance, we also need to be active. Third point, among Christ's church. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, he says consider. Consider. Consider where the struggles are, what people are in the community at Epiphany are going to. Pay attention. It's not just coming and saying, I want to receive, but grow, right? We're stunted in our growth and we don't have confidence. So he says, lift your eyes, believe the sufficiency of gospel. Now grow. And then he says, but pay attention to what other people are going through. It's not just about me or any of us individually. Pay attention and consider how to encourage one another with these words. Consider it. You don't know what the person next to you, unless you already know them, and maybe you still don't know what's going through right now. That's why we have life groups, y'all, to do life together, to live together, to consider how to spur up, encourage one another about these things because it gets tough and difficult in life. And it's going to. Jesus promised that. You will go through trials and tribulations. But when you do, we need to point one another to what Hebrews chapter 12 says, not just consider him or look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, but verse 3 says, consider him who endured such hostility. The, the end result of Christ's suffering was reward. We now are part of that, of being in him, and the glory of God is being shown off through the church. Do not try to do this on your own because we need one another to say, endure, because your suffering has a purpose. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead, and now Romans 8, 28, 29 is activated in the life of a believer, that he's working all things together for the good of those who could love him and called according to his purpose. It's activated. Suffering, endure through. The way you endure is you be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Don't go back to the old ways. Go all in. This sounds like Jesus called the discipleship that the author's talking about. Count the cost. Go all in. There's nothing else. But I'll tell you this, it's going to get hard. So you got to behold God's eternal perspective. It will get tough. Keep in sight with what he's talking about in his hope. Third one, as we say to wrap up, be active among Christ's church. Because here's the temptation as we prepare to close. Here was the temptation for this early church. They had a lot of difficult times. In fact, they, many of them stopped going to the local gatherings um, because of fear of persecution. Not only did many of them stop going because of fear of persecution, um, which on the side is because there wasn't a, I'm not all in on this. I'm not all in. I'm going to go back to the just in case because I don't want to go through and endure persecution. Here's what he said. Here's what one, one commentary series says. The attitude may also mean that abstainers saw Christianity as just another religion to be patronized or left alone. They missed the finality on which the author lays such stress. This became a habit for them to neglect the gathering of the saints. But it all rooted in the fact that they were, they were struggling with believing that, that God was faithful in Christ. They, they did not, they lost sight of an eternal perspective. And so, 
they began to falter in that. And here's where this illustration comes in, especially as the day draws near. Encourage one another, especially as the day draws near. How many of you guys are runners? Is anybody run the Broad Street Run? Okay, we got one. Hey, they're on the first guy. Okay, and now I'm not a runner, but here's what I hear from runners. Now, when you start that race, you're like, ah, I'm good. I got my conditioning, right? Right? My right, runners? And you're good. Like, you're feeling good. You got your pace. You got your rhythm. I don't know. I don't run, but that's what you hear. You got your pace. Then you hit, you hit the wall at some point, right? Am I right? You hit a wall, right? And you're like, oh, I can't go on with this. I can't go on with this. I can't. But you got people on the side cheering you on, right? You want your friends, your family saying, you can do this. Come on. Go, go, go. Then as you get closer, you're like, you're dead tired, but you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you run in, and you pick up, and Dorrance picks up again. You got people, the, the cloud, they're, they're clapping, the audience is cheering even louder, they're saying, go, 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 hold fast, hold fast, endure, you've trained, you're ready for this. Similarly, people of God, this is why we need one another. Life is going to get difficult, but it says, go, 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 people of God, get in a life group, cheer one another on, hold fast, this is difficult. I know I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to walk with you. But Jesus is coming again. And he's using this now to make you more like him so more people can see him. It's not about us. This is about Christ being formed in his people, coming to him, trusting him, and enduring in the midst of the race. So today, look to Jesus. Behold him. Be satisfied in him. Remembering that he's done it all for us. Um, all eyes closed and head bowed. Um, maybe many of you uh, are in a place where you don't, you may not know the hope of Jesus and you feel like you keep going back to the black book and you go to the just in case syndrome. Um, many of you um, may not know the risen Savior. You might have been going to church a little bit. Um, you might have been toiling with things here and there. You might even have a great intellectual understanding of Christ. But you haven't fully been satisfied. You haven't trusted him. And so today, I want to invite, be re, I'd be remiss if we didn't open up to see who needs to trust Jesus. Is there someone here that you're like, man, you're wrestling. The spirit of God is working on you. You're like, I've never really trusted Jesus. I don't know if I'm going to go to have access before the holy places. If that's you right now, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, won't you slip your hand in the air and we'll have someone talk with you. And share this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus and Jesus alone has paid for this. He's paid it all. And there's nothing that we can do outside of receiving his goodness and his grace. So if you haven't trusted him, feel free. Just why don't you slip your hand in the air. We have people that can talk with you. As we, as we close it in prayer, I want you guys to think about with me as we pray, as we prepare for communion and to sing. I want you guys to think about what are those areas that you find yourself going back to? Think about that and feel free, bring it before the Lord right now. Communion is a time when um, 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us that if we have beef with God or with someone else, he says, you know what, this, make sure you're discerning properly. So maybe you're right now, 
there's an area that you find yourself keeping running to. Maybe right now you're running to it in your mind. Why don't you bring that before the Lord and just confess that to him between you and him. And go to repent of that. And believe that Jesus is sufficient. Father, um, thank you so much that in the midst of life when it gets difficult, you remind us that Jesus is enough. By his blood, his shed blood, we are forgiven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And by the promise that he not only paid for our sin, but is coming to save those who eagerly wait for him. Lord, may that shape us. May that hope shape us as a community. Oh, and Father, may we grow in, in doing life together and encouraging one another. I pray that those who may have a place that they're dealing with, a functional Savior, um, a thing they run back to, that they would um, jump into a life group or even share with, um, uh, with one of us or one of the, the, the men doing communion or um, an individual within the congregation that they know, that they would just come and say, man, I've really been struggling with this. I haven't been growing. My growth has been stunted. I'm not enduring. I'm going to these things. And remember how much you were cleansed. Remember how much you were cleansed. Father, so we, we pray, Lord God, in Jesus' name, that you would um, continue to lead in God as this day. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the men come forward.